I began to have real bad anxiety. I mean, really, really bad anxiety to the point where I was so afraid to sleep. I thought I was going to die if I fell asleep. I mean, it was just the worst. This is the Dora McCallum Podcast, and our guest this week is Barbara Brown. Barbara has attended our church for 28 years. She had a religious upbringing, but ultimately ended up living a life that wanted nothing to do with religion. Everything she tried, relationships, the party life, even education, did not satisfy her. Nothing satisfied her but the love and grace of God. She experienced this early on, but eventually chose to leave the church. Would she return? Would she ever be the same after that? This is part one of a two-part series of the story of Barbara Brown. Thanks for tuning in. So you were, you were raised in a religious home, but then your parents divorced when you were 11. How did that affect your life? Tell us how you grew up to all of a sudden only living with your mother. Um, growing up, um, I remember my childhood. I was, I tell everybody I was a daddy's girl. Nobody could do anything to me. I never got in trouble. Um, I never got disciplined. My mom was never able to discipline me or get after me. And so I grew up daddy's girl. So my dad was my world. My dad was my hero. My dad was my everything. And growing up, I never saw my parents fight. I can't remember one time ever seeing them argue or anything. And so when they got divorced, when I was 11, um, it was very, um, for an 11-year-old, you know, devastating you know this is the man I love this is my world and all of a sudden he's gone so my hatred was towards my mother because to me she left my dad and I didn't understand why and it wasn't until a year after my parents um were separated or divorced I don't even remember um I just remember it was a new year's day and my dad showed up to bring me um, some dresses. And I was obviously excited. I mean, what little girl is not excited? One, to see her dad. And then he walk in with all these new clothes. And so I innocently let him in, not even thinking anything. And my mom was asleep. And we had had, my mom had had a New Year's Eve party. And so my dad walks in. And obviously, you know, there's, you can tell we had had a party. And, and we were all there as children were there. It wasn't like it was a party and my mom didn't have us there. We were all there. And before I know it, my dad is in my mom's bedroom and I hear my mom screaming and I run in to see what's happening. And um, my dad is trying to stab my mom. And that was the first time I, and, and the only time really, I guess you could say that I ever saw that side of my father. And I mean, obviously you're devastated, you're screaming, you don't even know what to do. And I just remember running to my neighbors, calling the cops. And by the time, you know, we came back, my dad had left. Um, by the grace of God, he didn't um, seriously injure my mom or seriously hurt my mom. And from that moment on, I had such a hatred towards my father. I mean, I I hated him because I felt you were someone I trusted. You're somebody I love. You're somebody I look up to. And, you know, for this, you know, I've always blamed my mom. And then all of a sudden I see, and my eyes were open to a side of my father that I really never knew. And then I was able to understand, okay, this is why my mom left my dad, you know. Um, let me stop you there really quick. So you you were oblivious to this darker side of your father. Um, but after seeing that 
did a lot did a lot of things growing up now make more sense as to why you were in certain situations growing up say for example you would not be home or your mother would kind of tell you you know what you're going to stay with your uh, uncle or your grandparents this weekend did things like that make more sense now knowing oh definitely i rem- um it was kind of like it triggered so many memories um i can remember times that we would be walking in the rain as a family and my uncle would pick us up on the side of the road Um, I remember my brother would always sleep outside uh, my parents' bedroom, and I never knew why. I mean, I just I really never knew. Um, there were times my mom would um, send us outside, and my brother would always be there at the window looking inside, and he would just tell me, go, go to the neighbors. But I never knew why. And now, it, once I once all this happened and I saw I, it began to make sense. So my dad had been abusing my mom. I mean, all of that began to make sense, and then I understood the life my mom had lived, you know. The only one that knew was my brother. He knew everything and he actually suffered as well every time he, you know, as we got older, we find out, you know, my brother would share this with me, you know, that he would get um, hit if he tried to get in or to help my mom or anything like that. So my brother um, would get a lot of abuse as well. Well, so this was at 11 when your parents divorced and you found this different side of your father couple years, you know, fast forward, now you're around 13 years old. There was a traumatic event that happened in your life. What was, was, was that the turning point, you know, some, a major event or something that, that shifted your life into a whole new direction from being a daddy's girl? I think you uh, were relatively good in school also, but what happened that you made a dark turn in your life? So yeah, growing up, I was a straight A student. I love school. I never wanted to miss school. And when I went into junior high, my mom had a boyfriend. And so my mom decided to move in with him. And so it was, you know, my brother and myself and I had two younger, I have two younger sisters. And so we moved in and shortly after they lived together, um, my mom's boyfriend um, started abusing me. Um, Obviously uh, not physical. It was more of a violation, and um, it happened for a whole year. I was in seventh grade. I never told anybody because, um, I mean, I don't know if I was ashamed or I, I really don't even, I can't even think of why. You know, people always ask that, why didn't you say anything? It's kind of, it's hard to explain. I mean, the things that they tell you if you say something. But after a year, um, it was the summer before I was going to eighth grade, um, I remember my mom calling me that my sister, my younger sister, had confessed to her that her boyfriend had violated my sister as well, which I didn't know. And so then my mom said, do you know anything about this? And obviously I'm like, no, I don't know anything. And then she says, has he ever done anything to you? And that was my way of like, I can tell now, you know. And so then um, I, I told my mom, I told her everything that happened. And then Obviously, then it became, uh, I mean, it was open. Now everybody knew, you know, the cops got involved. There was charges that were filed. And that really um, changed me because then I no longer cared about school. I didn't care about being straight A. I mean, you're trying to find an escape. And so you're trying to hide what's going on in your life um, by using, you know, anything, you know, to find an escape. I think or the only way I can say it is I went from a straight A student to now a student that didn't care. And maybe I was trying to, to let people know by acting bad 
Um, but my mom just thought, okay, she's just being a teenager. You know, she's just just a, typical typical teenager. She never thought that that was what was happening. Wow. Yeah, that's that's I'm definitely, especially in, at that age, it's it, it's difficult to process something like that. You know, fast forward here, you've begun to uh, take a dark turn in your life. You're now going to parties. You're beginning to drink alcohol. You're doing drugs. This is all 13, 14. You're now 15 years old. You're newly married. And you've realized that this person you're married to, you're in an abusive relationship. Um, can you, you know, explain that a little bit? Or um, I got married when I was 15. Um, a month after I was married, I found out I was pregnant um, for the first time. And a month after that, um, the physical abuse, uh, abuse started. And um, first it was just, you know, Oh, here and there and, you know, not that much. And mostly everything was about, you know, he wanted to party. I didn't want to party. You know, I wanted, okay, we're going to start a family. And then, of course, the abuse just, you know, escalated and, you know, it becomes more physical, um, verbal, um, you know. Uh, to be honest, verbal abuse is probably more painful than physical abuse because there are words you can't get out of your mind, you know, when, when someone, you know, just puts you down and, and calls you so many things and, and makes you feel like you're worthless. You carry that for a long time. And so it just continued to escalate. You know, I had um, my son when I was 16. Um, by the time I was 18, you know, I was pregnant again with my second child. And the abuse just continued um, uh, and got worse um, as he got worse in his partying. His, his own lifestyle. I'm sure he had, you know. To, to go to, to such an extreme in that relationship, I'm sure he had his own uh, amount of problems that he was trying to deal with and didn't know how to cope with those. Um, do you think that that hatred towards your father that was deep down inside of you, did that manifest as well when you were with this man? Did you also begin to hate this man that was the father of your children? Or did that, that hatred translate from your father and, uh, to this man? Uh, yeah, I guess you could say, I mean, I, I still had a lot of hatred towards my father. I remember when my father, um, shortly after I got married, um, called me up or something. I remember, and I just remember the last words that I said to him um, was, you know, that I hated him and I never wanted to see him again. And that the day um, he died, the only reason I'd show up to his funeral was to spit on his grave because I had so much hatred towards my father. So then when I get married and then you realize you married your father. I mean, literally you did. I married a man that was abusive. Um, he cheated on me, um, was not a family man, never worked, never took care of us. You know, I became the sole provider. I grew to hate him. I had so much hatred. Um, but at the same time, you're afraid to leave. You know, you have all this hatred. You don't, you don't even feel love. You're, you're full of hate and you're, uh, your pride and also you're so scared that you know if I leave is he going to come find me is he going to kill me what is he going to do to me wow so the year now is is 1992 and this year is the first time that you step into our church here in McAllen th the door but you you actually didn't lock in until 1995 so you've been coming on and off you know for three years w what kept you from fully committing yourself to God um well when I got introduced to the church, it was through my family. So I would come with my family. And through those three years, you know, um, my husband then, we would 
we're together, then we were not together, you know, I'd leave, you know, for two or three days, or he would leave for a week or two. And, and so we we're back and forth. So every time I was, you know, staying with my mom, I would come to church. And when I was with him, I couldn't come to church, he wouldn't allow me to come to church, and make a big deal it would become a fight. So to me, if I go to church, I'm going to get beat when I get back. So I better not because he was extremely jealous, extremely controlling. And obviously, at that moment, you don't understand why. I mean, now I can look back and say, well, because he had, you know, he was cheating. He was this. So to him, I'm doing it. She's probably doing the same thing. You know, I'm sure that's how he thought. And so that was really uh, a big reason. Um, I was so scared. I was scared. What is he going to do to me if I go to church and then I show up, you know, back home and he's there? And a lot of times if I knew he was going to leave for the whole day, well, then, okay, I can go to church because he's not going to be here. He's not going to know I left. And so that was the biggest thing. And then obviously when we were separated, I would come with my mom. So it was not, um, I mean, every time I walked into church, yeah, I wanted to rededicate my life to Christ because I knew, and it was crazy because throughout those three years, um, I knew I needed God because people would come to the house. Um, I mean, Mormons, I mean, it, it was weird. People would come and want to talk to me. And I... Now I look back and I was so desperate. You know, I would talk to anybody, Jehovah, anybody that would come because it made me feel like there is somebody out there that can help me, mm, you yeah. know? Yeah, somebody that somebody that that really knows you and, and loves you. And you, I guess by this point, hadn't really experienced that love. So it's 95 and now you've decided, I'm going to stay in this church. I'm going to commit myself. I'm going to serve God. How did that, how did your life change after that decision? So by that time, um, our life, uh, our marriage had really spiraled. It was really crazy. Um, he began to um, deal drugs. So, you know, he was dealing drugs out of the home and it just got really, really crazy. Um, I had went to a vocational school. I'd gotten my medical assistant license. And so I'm working, you know, and he's making all this money on the side, but the money was ready to make for him to party. And so our lives were just crazy. So I finally decided I'm going to get saved. And it was crazy because I get saved. I come home because I really knew I was saved this time. Like I knew it was just something God had really touched my heart. And I tell him, and I'll never forget the look on his face. I mean, he just looks at me. He's like, oh, because he knew what it meant to be saved because he had two uncles that were Christian pastors. So he knew about salvation. And he's like, so I guess this means no partying, no this. And I really didn't party much by then. I mean, I really just, you know, occasional drinks and this and that. But I didn't, I didn't do drugs anymore. The moment, I mean, I had my, I got pregnant. I never touched drugs ever again, you know. But he knew, okay, this is, this is going to be a change. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, and I want you to come. And he's like, nope, that's not for me. That's your thing. And that's fine. But as long as you don't come here and you tell me. And I said, okay. And so that's what I did probably for the first year. And then I just began to be very convicted because you're here dealing drugs out of our home. We have our kids. And I'm like, I can't live this life. You know, this is not right. And so I came to a point where, I mean, even though I wanted God to save him and I wanted God to, you know, restore this love and our marriage and everything, I knew I couldn't live this way and I had to make a, a stand. And I knew he had been cheating on me. So I knew um, the life he was living outside of the home. And um, so I told him that it was either, you know, he stopped dealing drugs or he had to leave. And I'll never forget, he looked me straight in the face and he says, I'm not going to give this up. 
you know, the, I've worked the, too hard the, for this. The drugs yeah. and the party, like he's not going to give that it's up. It's like, I'm not going to give it up. I'll leave. And it was so heartbreaking because you feel like another rejection, you know, okay, my dad rejected us, you know, because my dad from that time when I was 15, I never spoke to him ever again. You know, now I'm, you know, I'm 21 years old, 22 years old, you know, my dad's out of my life, never made contact, never tried to find me. And now the father of my kids is doing the same thing to my kids, you know, walking out and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, it was so heartbreaking. I mean, it was really, really heartbreaking. But I just said, you know what, I'm going to just pray and believe God and, and trust God. Wow. So this was, you know, 95, 96, you know, like you mentioned, you're 21, 22 years old. At the age of 28, you know, you've, you've been coming to church already. You've made the decision, you know, this man left. He chose to leave. You chose to serve God. You're 28 now and you decide to go to nursing school as a single mom. This is around 2002. What, what made you decide to take such a huge step in your life and, and how were you able to pay for all that? I mean, you're, I'm sure you're, you're trying to make ends meet just to feed your children. So from 22 to 28, uh, the cycle continued back together, separated back together. Um, eventually, um, he, from being a drug dealer, uh, became a drug user, got real heavily into crack, lost everything. I mean, all he had when he came back was the shirt on his back. He had nothing. He lost everything, um, became very addicted. Um, so in 1999, he goes to prison for the first time, and um, it just became a cycle. I mean, he was in and out of prison, in and out of prison, you know, for six months, a year, 18 months, you know, just constantly. And I knew that I had to do something to support my children. How was I going to support them? I realized this man's never going to support us. He's never going to take care of us. And I didn't want to live, you know, like my mom, I remember my mom being a single mom and struggling to raise us and to have a place for us. And I didn't want to do that. And so I was working for some doctors um, in mission and they actually, I, I mean, I can remember the day, you know, we're doing a procedure and the doctor just looked at me and said, why don't you go to school to be a nurse? I looked at him and I mean, when somebody rips you of your self-worth, even a degree feels like not me. I can't do that. And that's how I felt. I felt I could never, I'm not as smart as those nurses. I'm, I don't have what it takes. And I remember they looked me straight in the face and they're like, you have what it takes and you can do it. And so they said, I want you to bring us all your debt and um, show us uh, what you owe and what you pay monthly. And so I brought everything um, and they paid everything off for me, every debt I had. And I mean, if I say how much it was, it's probably nothing to people nowadays, but to me that made $10 an hour was a lot. And um, they paid everything off and they said, okay, go back to school. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I haven't been in school in 10 years. How am I going to do this? Right. And I guess for the record really quick here, you, since you got married at 15, did you even graduate high school and now you're trying to go to, to get a degree in nursing? So I didn't graduate from high school. Um, at the age of 18, I wanted to go back and graduate from high school and I couldn't because I needed so many credits. So I ended up getting my GED when I was 18 years old. Right. And, and that's pretty much ac academically all you had to show for. And now these doctors are saying, hey, we're going to send you to school to become a nurse. Mm -hmm. So I just had my GED. I was a medical assistant, which was a six month course that I took. And so I go, I mean, talk about the fear of walking into a, to a college and, you know, thinking, I'm not smart. I can't do this. But I can honestly say that God 
um, was the the key factor in me um, getting into school, passing all the entrance exams, and getting accepted into the nursing school. It was God. There was no other way I could have done it without him. Well, and through all this time, right, you're you're going to school, but you're also attending church faithfully. Obviously, you have classes, and, and you're still working a job. Um, like you mentioned, your ex-husband was in and out of prison, and he really wasn't even in the picture in general. So all this time, now you 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 go to school and you graduate. I believe around like oh six somewhere around there. You know, you've graduated. How was how was your mental state? Right, you 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 grew up. You, your parents divorced. You you married uh, essentially a monster, right? A drug addict, um, like my father. My father in law says a, a loser, a loser drug addict. Um, you know, you're you're saved now. You're committed, but you're a single mom. But you have a degree. But you know, how how were you doing mentally? What what was going on in your head? What... So um, when I was in uh, when I started college. Um, he was in prison, he gets out and I tell him, um, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for our family. And I don't want any problems. And he's like, okay, whatever. And so, um, the longest time I ever saw him stay clean was, um, eight months. I mean, that was the longest. And so I get pregnant with my third child, um, which was total shocker. It wasn't even something, um, expected. So that's in 2003. And um, I am, I can't remember how many months pregnant I was. And he beat me for the last time, I say, because that was the last time, um, really bad. And my son, my oldest, um, I remember, you know, that was probably the only time I think he ever had to stop him. I kind of was like my mom, I tried to hide it from my kids. I I tried to protect my kids. I didn't want my kids to even know he was a drug addict. I mean, I really tried to protect my kids from knowing that side of him. It was crazy. You know, I did everything like my mom. I ran from house to house. I did all that stuff. And so um, he beat me so bad. I mean, grace of God, I didn't, you know, have a miscarriage or anything. And um, I had her in 04, um, April of 04. And I get, uh, I start the nursing program in, um, August of 04. And then probably four months after that, he goes back to prison. And so it's just very stressful. You know, I have a newborn, I have a preteen and I have a teenager and I'm a single mom. I work 10 to 15 hours a week, but, um, doors opened tremendously. I mean, I got full financial aid. There was another program that they told me about. I got, uh, fully awarded everything they could give you. And so, Literally, my financial aid came back to me, all of it, and that's what I lived off of to pay my bills. And, um, you know, I got all, every government help you could think of to help me for those two years of the nursing program. But after my second semester of the nursing program, um, I went to see, you know, um, him in prison. And when I was there, I found out something that I never knew um, and that he was part of a major um cartel major uh, you know gang you know and I really I remember laughing and going I don't know what you're talking about but there's no way you know what I mean like there's no way they're like ma'am and so I you you sometimes say man how God opens doors or God how God exposes it and he does you know because I never knew and I remember the officers like ma'am come with me and he takes me and I mean just pulls out everything. And he shows me, this is the day he, you know, began to say he was part of this. And so 
little did I know for the past five years, that was, you know, the organization, you could say, or gang, whatever that he was involved in. And I'm like, what? I mean, I was, I mean, just shocked. And I remember, so I go see him and I, you know, I ask him and I mean, he just looked me straight in the face and just said, shut up. We're not going to talk about it. And I knew they're not lying. This is true. So now I'm like, okay, to me, that was, I guess you could say the icing on the cake. Okay. I cannot live like this anymore. My kids cannot live around this anymore. One day it's going to be us. They're going to come kill us if you do something wrong. You know, I just, all these things went through my mind. And I remember I left there and I said, man, God, you have to get me through this school because there's no other hope for me and my kids. And I remember um, shortly after that, you know, I guess knowing that in school and being a single mom and studying and, you know, all this stuff, um, I began to have real bad anxiety. I mean, really, really bad anxiety to the point where I was so afraid to sleep. I thought I was going to die if I fell asleep. I mean, it was just the worst. I mean, I I don't even know how to tell people. You know, people say, oh, I have anxiety. I mean, it was the worst. I would grab a Bible and, and you know, and I'm saved. I'm, I'm coming to church and I, I would hold a Bible. I'd put it on my chest and I would like hold it like, please, God, don't let me die when I close my eyes. I was so so, so scared. And I remember walking into school and talking to one of my instructors and telling them that I needed to drop the program because, you know, I couldn't. It was so much anxiety and I and I just, I was losing so much weight. I was just so bad. And I remember the instructor looking me straight in the face and saying, if I let you drop, you'll never come back. And she was right. I probably would have never gone back. And so I just began to call people from church. And I mean, I'm so grateful to be part of this fellowship because, I mean, so many people that would come to my house and pray for me day after day after day to help me, you know, get through this and that for God to deliver me um, from the spirit. I mean, because just was so out of nowhere. And, um, you know, just all the prayers and I, I really believe it was just, you know, all the prayers and and finally making the decision that um, when I finished nursing school, I was going to file for divorce and be, you know, done with this relationship because I had to finally accept that, you know, he was never going to get saved or he didn't want to get saved and um, he was never going to change. That was the life he had chosen to live. And, you know, truth is God gives us all a free will and that was a choice he wanted to make. We'll have to stop the story right there for now. Make sure to tune in next week to hear the second half of Barbara's incredible story Believe me, it only gets better from here. And remember, please share this story with someone you know. I'm Beto Rivas, and this is part one of a two-part episode. Thanks for listening. This is the Dormacallan Podcast.